All right. Let's uh, let's say hi to Joshua. Hey Joshua. Um, jo- oh Joshua. Right, Joshua. Joshua is just this random guy we say hi to. No, he's a, he's he's serving in, Af- in Afghanistan right now. He should be coming. Yeah, he's in the reserves, but he's um, he gets to shoot really big cannons, and I'm jealous. Uh, so it's um, anyway. Hopefully, he's coming home this summer. It'd be nice to see him. Uh, all right, let's look at. We're in Exodus chapter nine. Starting in verse eight through twelve, and uh, let's uh, let's see what, what what happened last time. Where did we go last time? The last plague was what? Livestock. Livestock. What do we what do what do we pull from that? What was, where was that going? Remember? There was a there's all there all the plagues are in conjunction with a god that the Egyptians have. Right. The livestock <clears throat> is it Ra? Yeah, it was one of them. Yeah. And um, basically, all the livestock of the Egyptians only died. Right. But of the Israelites in Gershon, Gershon, Goshen, Goshen, is um, it's a rider. Yeah, way different. Yeah. Um, they lived. They lived, and he sent out messengers to investigate. Right. And we talked about the idea of of his doubt and his you know is this a natural disaster? Is this a freak of nature, or is this really something? That was a result of this Hebrew God that is that is attacking his land. And we've gone through what's a five plagues so far. Uh, the Nile turns to blood, attacking their their belief in the creation of Egypt through the Nile. Uh, we've gone through the um, what was the second one? Do you remember? There's stuff that came out of the ground, right? The frogs. Well, frogs, right? And the frogs related to this whole, they treated frogs as a divine creature and they couldn't kill them. Um, and, and so they had the, the, the land was full of, swarmed with frogs. Um, and, they, and they stank when they died. And it was a beautiful picture. Uh, then, then, then what happens? Gnats, Gnats mosquitoes, whatever that, that may have been. And then there was something else. Flies. flies. There was a plague of flies that was... That was swarmed over the land. So all these things are going toward different deities, and also attacking them economically, uh, culturally, theologically. They're coming to a head here of all these things happening and destroying their way of life. Then you hit what? The big one. They're an agrarian society. So what? What? The the cattle, the the, the livestock, sheep, goats, cows, camels. Horses, and it just completely devastates their economy at this point. Now, what would a natural thing, what a nat, what would a natural response be when you see your country decimated by this? I mean, he verifies, sent out messengers to see if what this Hebrew God said was true. What would be the? What would you think logically would be the response? Was that vote in a Republican? Get rid, get them out. Which is the drumbeat that Moses has been hitting from the beginning, isn't it? Let my people go. Let my people go. But Pharaoh and his advisors hang on. All right. 
Look at verse 8 in chapter 9. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. What is different about this plague, how it begins, than, than most of the others? He didn't have an audience with Pharaoh here, did he? That's right. What have we learned from the last time he didn't have an audience with Pharaoh? What did we... What did we uh, he launches from the livestock right into this next plague. There's no audience, there's no um, uh, attempt at negotiating with Pharaoh. Hey, let him go, and this won't happen. There's no if-then clause introducing the situation. He just launches right into it. What did we see the last time we saw this? There was one other time this was done, by the way. Blood, frogs, flies. Just launched right into it. We see here a kind of a, a break, a cycle of three plagues. And this launching into it without having an audience or without having a let my people go scenario is a sign of this is the next cycle of three. Okay? There's a there's a there's a rhythm to it. And the idea here is your economy, your culture, your theology is trashed. It's been beaten at this point. And still you won't let them go. Let's see how you feel about your own skin. The judgments keep getting more and more and more severe. It gets becoming it's becoming more and more intense. So this signifies the end of a second cycle, but man, what an end. This is job like. Right? Boils all over man and beast. It immediately goes into it. All right. It says it, it's done before the eyes of Pharaoh. We don't get any kind of record of any kind of conversation, but it's done before the eyes of Pharaoh. Why do you think that is? So Pharaoh can identify that Moses started it. That's exactly right. What happened with the last plague? What did he do? At the end of it, he sent messengers, right? To do what? To verify. Goshen saved. This time he doesn't. He tells Moses and Aaron, take some dust or some soot from this kiln and to throw it in the air before the eyes of Moses. I'm sorry. Moses too, he was there. Uh, <laughs> what is significant about a kiln? Is this a clay kiln or is this a baking kiln? I'm, I'm guessing baking. Clay, you know, kind of baking clay. Sort of for a certain well, thing. The last time he hit the, the livestock, which is how they eat, now he's hitting, he's hitting their health. 
Mm-hmm. So he hit their economy, and now he's hitting their health. Right. So the... <clears throat> The universal health care system that they had had under the magicians is now shown to be... Yes, what did Are you, you say? What were they slaves bricks. of? What did they do? Right. What did they do? Bricks. Bricks. How do you make bricks? You bake them. You get straw, you get clay, you, you shape them, you put them in the oven, you bake them, and then you ship them off to the, the latest monument to a pharaoh. He takes soot from the sign of their slavery, takes it to Pharaoh, throws it in the air, and what happens? The entire land. It turns from soot to what? Okay, ultimately, yes, but first, there's something... There's fine, dust. fine dust. Is soot fine dust? No. What you see here is another miraculous thing of what we would call transubstantiation. Not in the Roman Catholic sense, but in a material that changes from soot to fine dust. Also, if it's, if you said take handfuls yeah. and throw it, and then it says it covered the whole land. The second aspect of the miracle, yes. Good, good. You've got, now the very air they breathe is diseased. Basically is what it comes down to. And the instant and the initiating element of that is the sign of their oppression, is the sign of their slavery before the Egyptians. And there's no doubt, right? It's done. I mean, he's watching this and starts scratching. Is there a correlation? Because I'm sure Pharaoh didn't exactly know that that soot came from a kiln, though, unless he actually saw it himself. Is this a sign for the Hebrews as well? Like, I would think so. I would think so. In fact, that's a good point. All, all of these are. All of these judgments have two two prong idea. One, uh, God is God, and there is no other. To the Egyptians, to the Hebrews, to whomever, He's He's God of of the whole world, the whole universe. Two, I protect my people, and I am for them, not against them. Right. And so he takes this, this element of their oppression, and, and I'm, the indication is this would have meant something to Pharaoh too. So in all likelihood, he would have known where that had come from. Um, he may, there may have even been one there. You know? So uh, he throws it up, and, and it's a sign to all of them. He didn't send out messengers on this one. Um, let's, look at, uh, let's look at this a little bit, a little bit closer. What, what kind of... What kind of um, disease is this? Do we know? What do you think? Poison ivy. Definitely poison ivy. If you've ever... Yeah. Well, it's going to take an ocean of calamine lotion. What? That sounds like MRSA with the bulls. And sores. Those bulls probably rupture and create sores. It's like a flushing disease. Hmm. Nobody knows. Somebody's somebody speculated that it was anthrax, you know, that came a letter and soot. I don't know, but um, that that others have said that it was uh, that that it was uh, something similar to smallpox. Um, but the the language does seem to describe what is described elsewhere with the same type of language as leprosy. 
Um, so maybe that was it. All of those are incurable. All of those are devastating and open and obvious. And think of the visual for the Egyptians as the uh, Hebrews go to market. Um, yes? But, I mean, it said it spread all over the land and there's no distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So, I mean, isn't it safe to assume that the Israelites have the boils as well? Even though they were spared from the death of the livestock in the last one. But how much more important would it be if, the, if it spread everywhere and the Hebrews actually felt it hit them but not, didn't show symptoms? It's like, why we got the same stuff on us and we don't have anything going on? Look at verse 11. I don't think it was on the Jews. I think it was just on the Jews. The dust went everywhere. The dust went everywhere. But it says the boils are on the magicians and all the Egyptians. Maybe they were spared. It seems to indicate that by who the direct object of that sentence would be, the direct objects of that sentence would be, would be the magicians and the the Egyptians. so you have this, nevertheless, whatever disease it was, it was dangerous and life-threatening, open and obvious. There's no getting around it. Here's the here's a curious thing. Uh, the Egyptians um, feared epidemics like all the ancient world did. The pl- they, they, they feared them like the plague. <laughs> so they had this innate sense of vulnerability with these diseases that they didn't understand. And they worshipped several gods dealing with these sicknesses. Um, some of them, uh, uh, Sekhmet uh, is a lion-headed goddess who supposedly had the power over disease. Uh, Sunu, not Sununu, Sunu, uh, it was a pestilence god, um, which I don't know why you'd worship a pestilence god, but they, they had one. Okay, sure, yeah, sure. Uh, Isis... The god of the goddess of healing, they they worshipped her, but all of these gods were shown to be um, imposters. They did not have the power to stop the plague. They certainly didn't have the power uh, to protect the Egyptians, like God apparently here had the, the power to protect the Hebrews. So, your next level of defense, if you can't depend upon the gods who are supposed to protect you, is is whom? Is your Pharaoh? If, if you're Pharaoh. Who would, who would he always turn to? The magicians. the magicians. What happens here? The magicians can't even stand because there's so many boils. And thankfully they didn't try and you know, create the boils also. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, learned, they learned, I think, right? We can make more frogs. We make water to blood. Uh, let's make more boils. Um, here, they're muted. They hide. And in this passage, is the final mention of the magicians. They're out of the picture from this point forward. They have now been completely beaten, disgraced, shown to be the imposters that they are. Um, not only can they, uh, are they unable to rid the land of the disease, but they can't even protect themselves. So this is the final word for them. They're out of the picture. And there's irony here as well. Um, who is standing? Doing the miraculous. Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh. These magicians can't stand before their Hebrew slave counterparts. So there's a there's a, a, a mockery, a taunting in this in this verse about the magicians. Is that is that a sign to you of the severity of whatever this disease is that they might not have even physically 
stand? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but that does sound pretty bad. If you can't physically stand because of the boils, that may be. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. What's that? Maybe they got them on the bottom of their feet. Maybe. How do they lay in the bed? It does sound like a miserable existence. <laughs> That's the point. To make them Apparently, apparently their economy isn't enough to make them relent, so strike their health. And, and there they are, except for one person. What does verse 12 say? Who did? How unfair. So unjust. I mean, come on. What does it say? The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And what was the sign of that? How did they know that was going? What does he point to? What's the next statement? He did not listen listen to them. What are we to make of this? Verse 12. What are we to make of this? The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh did not listen. This is the first time we've seen this. Was this the verse you came to? What's that? Was this the verse you came to? No, mine was actually a little, a little earlier. Yeah, a little earlier. So this is not the first time we saw that we've seen this. Where did we see this before? In many other plagues, God continually hardened Pharaoh. Some of the plagues it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right. Was hardened, so passive. Before all the all the plagues started, when Moses was in the wilderness, God told him that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. Right. And then he went there, and sure enough, God hardened so Pharaoh's heart. Chapter four, um, verse thirty-one. When Moses was in the desert, he's in the desert before he even goes to Egypt. God says to, to Moses, Pharaoh has a hard heart, I'm probably going to be able to break it. Is that what he said? This Pharaoh is a tough nut. He's, he's probably a lot more sinful than most guys you're going to meet. Um, we're going to have to do some work on him. What does he say in chapter 4, verse 31? 4? I think it's verse 31, am I right? Oh, 21, I'm sorry, 21. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. It's just showing that God is in ultimate control. There's nothing that man can do. There's nothing that Pharaoh can do. There's mm-hmm. nothing that Pharaoh's magicians can do. It's God's in control. Now, I don't know, I don't know if God did any, did any extra hardening. Without God softening our heart, mm-hmm. everyone has a hard heart. Okay. So, so Pharaoh's not, no different than us. Right. Okay. It's just that God didn't give him a soft heart to repent. Okay. Comments on that. We all start with a hard heart, and God keeps it there or changes it. Is that is that biblically accurate? Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> 
7.3, he also says, um, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Again, the sign of his hardness, he will not listen. <clears throat> so you can have all the signs in the world. You can take an atheist who says, If this pulpit will levitate and float across the room, then I would believe that God exists. No, you won't. Here's proof. If you have a hard heart, you can rationalize anything. A day without rationalization is a day wasted if you're trying to be in rebellion. So here it is again. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So what do you do with the passages like 8.15 and 32 that say Pharaoh hardened his heart? Is the writer of Exodus, sorry, is the writer of Exodus schizophrenic? What do you do with that? We have a contradiction here. It can't be true. I think it goes with when we're not in Christ, we, we do what we most love to do, which is sin. And that, that's what we are um, gravitating toward. And we can't even hear anything else unless God opens our ears. We can't see the beauty of his mercy and his grace unless he opens our eyes. And so we're completely just living blind and deaf, so to speak, to anything having to do with God because we're doing what we most love to do, which is our sin, and we're hardened in that. And and so... Yeah. I've tried to lead a meal once before that did not want to be led. The harder I tug, the more he pulled back. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same scenario. I have a six-year-old who's that way. <laughs> <laughs> I was being gracious to my children this time. Second um, Timothy three nine says, "But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." Referring to um, presumably the magicians that um, that Moses was dealing with. Many of many have thought that. So you have these. The, the economy is in shambles. It's revealed it's God. He doesn't even send out messengers to see, to check on the, the Hebrews this time. You have the, the, everything laid waste, the theology laid waste, obviously an act of God, completely without question, uh, a, a, a shown to, that his gods are imposters, his magicians are imposters, and he's hardened. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. And God has hardened his heart. And how do we... What? How, how do we? How do we? How do we deal with that? Who's? If God is ultimately in control, like you say, how are we to address that fairness issue? Because next week we're going to be looking at a verse in 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 the next plague. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. That says, um, "For this reason, I have raised you up." that I might show my power against you. Your hardness is an obstacle that I'm going to use to show my glory, is what God says to Pharaoh. You know, you talk about fairness, and in ultimate fairness, we all deserve hell. Okay. So, fairness really isn't even an option. Paul deals with this in Romans 9. And he says that, you know, some, some vessels he's made for honorable use, and some he's made for dishonorable use. 
if God is the designer of the of the pot of the vessel, He can do with it whatever He wants. Mm-hmm. I kind and of agree. It's, um, this is this is Pharaoh living out his destiny. Mm-hmm. He's doing what he was built to do, mm-hmm. and he wasn't elected to glorify God, but he was elected to give Moses and Aaron an opportunity to glorify God here. Okay. Um, as far as the hard name, potentially, that, that's all predestined as well. So when Pharaoh hardens his heart in, in that time, the Lord had already hardened it. It was set that way. Okay. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's... Either God is sovereign over everything, or he's sovereign over nothing. Because if God's sovereignty stops at man's will... Uh-huh. And man gets to decide whatever man wants to do. Let's say this is a, a poor little innocent bird. Okay, I've never met and, one. But let's say that it is a cute little bunny rabbit. It's not a demonic frog. It's a cute little bunny rabbit, whatever it is. If God is not sovereign over my will, and I choose to just smash this, uh-huh. how can God be sovereign over this and not sovereign over my will? Either what what if He intended for you to smash it? Then He's sovereign over everything. Okay. So, what if the actual test is that he gives you the ability to smash the bunny rabbit, he gives you the choice to smash it, and now it's yours to decide what you want to do with it. Right. But who's ultimately in control in that scenario? God is, is giving up his control to you in that scenario. But he's also so, letting you prove your worth. He's trusting <clears throat> you as a child. Yeah, but trusting the human heart is pretty, pretty bad. The, the Bible says... The human heart is deceitful above all else. So who can know it? And it goes on to say, who can know it? I, I think of it this way, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think of it when you're an unbeliever, you really don't have any choice other than to sin. Because that is the circle you live in. Basically, mm-hmm. that's your sphere. Mm-hmm. Everything you do is against God. When God calls you out of darkness into light, he gives you the Holy Spirit who now it dwells within you. He gives you his word. Um, you communicate with him through prayer. You now have, you now can live within the sphere of light. You can choose what's right. You can choose to not sin. Sometimes those spheres overlap when we when we go back into our, our old nature. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way I think of it is that we have now as a new creature we have the ability to not sin but we still are humans and we still we're still enticed by it sin. and that's where Philippians where it says work out your own salvation for it is God who works in you mm-hmm. to will and to do so it is we do have a responsibility we're not just supposed to sit back and go well, whatever God does, God does, and I don't have anything to do with it. We have a responsibility to be obedient and to do what he's called us to do. But he's also working in us, and without him, we can't do anything. Yeah, that, isn't, that what, isn't that what is going on here, and it's why the writer of Exodus says both? <laughs> the Lord hardened his heart, told in the desert before you even see him, Right? But he also says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So you have both. <coughs> you have God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in the same, in the same passage. It's two sides of the same 
Yeah, I think so. And I think that's pr- proven in other areas of Scripture. Uh, Genesis fifty twenty. What does it? What does he say? What does Joseph say to his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant. Present tense, both verbs. God meant for good. The, how do you reconcile that? It's a matter of the heart. It it is that it's true. I don't think you can get around the scripture. But how it works, we're not really told. We're not told how God can be... Um, it's like the Trinity. You know, <laughs> very much. And I, and I think it involves the Trinity, quite frankly. How many times when your mind is blown by some of those truths, for me, I have to just sit back and go, thank you, God, that you're so big that you blow my mind. Because I can't understand the Trinity. I can't understand infinity. I can't understand how God can be sovereign and how he uses our will and our will, you know, we do have a will. Yeah. We do have the ability to make choices as sure. humans. Sure, sure. So did, so did Pontius Pilate. So did Herod. So did the Sadducees and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They all had wills. And how was that recorded by Peter in his prayer in Acts 4, 27? Thank you for giving me. Acts 4, let's look there. That's probably the biggest, I think, display of God's righteousness through the sin of man is where... At the cross. Who's praying here? Peter is praying. Acts 4, 27-28. Let's go back a little bit. Um, in, in verse 25, second part of that, it says, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage... And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what? So they were wicked men, judged to be wicked men, shown to be wicked men by their actions, yet they did whatever God, and this is a big word, it's the one that makes everybody wince, predestined to do. What does that tell us about the power of God? It's big. They're not dependent upon our hearts. In fact, even though we are shown sometimes as men to be flawed, sinful, it flows into his active plan of redemption. To do whatever your hand and your plan of predestined take place. So what, so what do we see? We see that <clears throat> there's a call that goes out. Repent and believe. Now is the time for salvation. Now is the time to come to Christ. Kiss the Son while there is still time. You see this again and again and again. All these commands to repent and believe. And yet you also see, but you can't repent and believe. There's a hardness of your heart. 
There's a hardness of my heart. You can't repent and believe. But repent and believe. But you can't repent and believe. You see this again and again. So what do we, what do we find? The, Christ and the moving of the Holy Spirit to give us an inclination to come to Him is the only method. And, and the hardness results in, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to depend upon who God is. I can't trust in a God that powerful because that that's, takes away my power. It takes away my pride. There's a very humbling aspect to the nature of God that we tend to push back against. It's that we're responsible, but he's in control. That's a, that's a hard truth. And Tammy mentioned earlier, it's one that, that, that I um, wrestled with quite a bit. Uh, and it started in Exodus 4, where I started, you know, I told you before that when we were dating, when we got married at the first, I was, she, she shouldn't have been dating me. I, I hate to tell you this because it's like, go find an unbeliever and go date. That's not what I'm saying. But this is what happened with us. Um, I, I was in a Bible study, and we were reading through Exodus, and the guy didn't even go to predestination on this thing. I'm just reading the text. Exodus 4, 21, the Lord says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, I flip out. Because that's not the God I grew up with. The God I grew up with is a grandpa. His job is to forgive me. And I need a lot of forgiving at that point. Still do. Um, and, and who is this God who hardens hearts? What is this about? So I'm fighting this, fighting this, and about a year I go into this study of uh, all these instances, reading through the Bible, looking for instances of God's sovereignty and changing hearts. You see it with, with Saul. Uh, you see it in David. You see it in, in all different areas, and you especially see it at the cross. So I'm fighting this, fighting this. I mean, angry at God, shaking my fist at the sky. This is not the God. This whole thing. And finally got to the point where either I believe what it says or I don't. I believe what it says or I go fishing. Either I worship the God of the Bible or I might as well worship Isis, Kanum, some other sky thing. Because it's either true or it's not. Um, and what did that do to me? It, 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 it humbles me. I don't, I'm not... My salvation doesn't depend on me. It depends on the God who gives grace. And, that, and I think that's the point of this. God gives grace. And we should be thankful for it. It's a mercy. And if he doesn't, here's a picture of what judgment looks like if we persist in our own hardness. Um, this plague was so nasty and made such an impression on the minds of the Hebrews that it became a proverbial thing in ancient Israel. Um, Deuteronomy 28-27, warning the Israelites if they rebelled against God's covenant, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt. The boils of Egypt. How would you like to have that name added to you? The boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch. Just in case you forget what those boils were. That's what they look like. Of which you cannot be healed. This judgment is also a shadow of the judgments that are described in Revelation against all humanity that's in rebellion against God. Revelation 16.2 So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped 
his image. Those who persist in rebellion against God. Again, it's, it's, Egypt is a shadow of the ultimate reality that's coming. There's a judgment coming. Repent now while there is time. That's, that's, that's the whole point of this. We talked about how to study the Bible before, and there are three questions that I ask pretty regularly in my own Bible study. It's what does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about man? And what is it calling on me to do? And these are the themes that you see again and again. Who is God? Who am I in relation to Him? And what does He call me to do? He calls me to repent and trust Christ. And that all these judgments keep going back to that again and again. Will you let, let it go? Whatever you're holding on to that's keeping you from Christ. So. Alright. Any... any uh, and we'll, we'll see this in the next plague, especially when we get to it. And we're going to be pulling in Romans now. We may spend two weeks on the next one just because of the... But um, any, any other comments on this? It's a, it's a difficult truth, no doubt. It's a, it's a hard truth, but I think it's one that humbles us and brings us to the cross, as it should. Any other, any other comments? It's 10 o'clock. We still have 15 minutes. Kidding. Sure. Is there any like real economic or cultural value of keeping the Israelites? I've heard on the History Channel or something that the Israelites were a really small population of slaves. I don't know. I can only imagine at this point it's pride. I mean, obviously it costs them much more than they were worth when they're losing their cattle, their rivers, their yeah, so you think after their skin, losing their skin. After losing so much already on behalf of something worth so little. How could you account for it but for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? But don't we do that in our own lives? Sure. When we're holding on to sin and there's consequences and there's... But we don't want to let it go. We don't want to listen. We don't want to listen. You're right. So I think another thing that's shown in these, in these plagues and through this whole narrative is that sin is irrational. Why is Satan still fighting God? I mean, he knows the end. He's read the book probably more times than we have. He knows the end, and yet still fights. <coughs> Doesn't make sense. I guess there's a boredom factor. What else are you going to do? Sin is irrational. And pride is irrational. Mm-hmm. You cannot control your next breath, and yet you think you're in control. Well, their breath turned into boils and scabs and itch. It's going to sound pretty cold and even like open up a can of worms, but God created Satan. He created him as an angel, mm-hmm. full well knowing that Satan is going to do what he was going to do, right. torment the earth. And, you know, God is not the author of evil, but he ordained that evil exist. Okay. And he did so. <laughs> did I say 15 minutes? <laughs> he, he ordains that evil exists. For his own purpose. Sure. To show what not God is. If you've got, if you've got just uh, something hovering out in midair, you have no clue how high it is. Mm-hmm. But if you put something in midair and you look down and you see the comparison, here's Earth and here's how high it is. Okay. You go, wow, that's really high. You know, we, we know what judgment looks like, right? The creation knew what judgment looked like because a third of the angels, angels fell. We saw that part of, of God, holiness, wrath, righteousness, those kinds of things. He creates man, introduces the same rebellion, 
And instead of destroying them, judging them, like he did the third that fell, um, with who had no hope of redemption. I mean, Hebrews says, Jesus didn't come to redeem angels. He came to redeem mankind. But through that we see God's mercy, his grace, his compassion, his forgiveness, his capacity to take it on himself, to humiliate himself on the cross for our redemption. What should that do to us? Well, the Bible says it's your kindness that brings us to repentance. And yet, how many people push back? And won't listen because of the hardness that we see very typified here in Pharaoh. Let's not be hard. Let's be soft to Christ. Repent. Come to him regularly. I think also it's a call for us, for those we know in our own lives, who we think, oh, they'll, they'll never become a Christian. They're, they're too far gone. Their heart's too hard. They're whatever. Mm. That's not up to us. That's Thank true. God, it's not up to us. Yeah. But we're told to continue to love them and to share the gospel with them and that it's and that it's God who can and does soften hearts. Just because he didn't with Pharaoh, we know that there were other Egyptians who went through these plagues who left with the Hebrews because they believed in the God of the Hebrews by the time all these plagues were Right, over. that's true. So we you know, it's a call to continue to pray and to to not give up on people just because they they look like they're stuck there. Right. Good. Because Pharaoh was left in hardness and hardened um, at at God's power. I mean, we're given an example of, uh, of Saul, who became Paul, right. who would have been a lost cause by all accounts. No, and still deemed a lost cause after he was re- you know, after he had come to Christ. They probably any Christian who witnessed to him knew they were taken right. to a lost cause and they were going to get thrown in jail for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is yeah. He had pretty intimate understanding of Romans nine. I think Paul did since he wrote it. So, all right. Well, let's pray and move on. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you that um, we can trust you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. But we also recognize that you are a God of righteousness and holiness. And in Christ, you've called us to be like him. And one day we know that we will, because First John tells us that when we see him as he is, we will be made like him. We long for that day when the sin in our hearts is, is wiped out And we no longer have the tug of the old nature, but we are wholly given over to the new creation you've created in Christ. Father, we pray for those that we know who are not in Christ. We pray that that you would do what only your spirit can do, which is transform a heart of stone into a heart of flesh that cries out to you in faith and repentance. Father, remind us that the language of salvation continues to be faith and repentance, where we trust Christ and repent of the times we prefer something or someone more than Him. Grant us grace, Father, to to love Jesus more and hate our sin more. Give us a faith in Christ and love for His people that only can be born from you. And we thank you for that, we ask for that, and we um, 
once again want to worship you today as we go into the main service with hearts that are thankful and humble. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.